Hey boys, sorry, I had no idea hey. we were recording so early today. That would be my Yikes. fault, I think, because uh, you know European time. Yeah, no, that's good. I'm I'm ready. To, I'm ready to rock and ruin. They told me to stop saying that. Well, I want you to stop saying it. All right, ready to rock and ruin. Say something else different. I'm tired of you saying that. Let's go. Yeah. Hello, my friends. Thank you for joining us for the Pepcac Podcast a weekly information security show featuring some all-around good people. It is week 43 of 2022. I'm Chris Louie, and people call me Chris. If you call me Mr. Louie, I will assume you're a Fed and treat you as such. With me, I have my co-host, Duke Silver, back from vacation with all his bones intact. By the way, congratulations on the promotion, Mr. Deech. That was just announced. All right, Fed, get the hell out of my podcast. I don't know why you're calling me that. This is Duke Silver to you. No Glenn this week. He had a last minute emergency, but should be back next week. Our guest this week is Nathan Howe. Nathan is not only our first guest from Germany, but he's also an author, an innovator, an expert in 5G and zero trust. Nathan is our VP of Emerging Technology and both a gentleman and a scholar. I can't recall a time both in person and on Zoom where I did not see Nathan wearing a sport coat. Nathan, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, Thanks, Chris, and and thanks, Brian. Um, And today, no sports coat. A bit more casual. Uh, So hi, everybody. Uh, Nathan, um, although I am actually based in Germany, I'm not German, so don't try and make any German jokes. I'm Australian, so we can make fun of Australians. That's fine. Um, Really good to be here. A um, uh, little bit of background on me. I've been in InfoSec for 20 years, 20 plus years. I've done everything from uh, running security and telcos through to uh, pen testing, uh, as well as being on uh, on customer side with uh, with my former company, Nestle. And now, of course, here with these gents in uh, Zscaler, doing some fun things. So thanks for having me. Thanks for joining. Out of curiosity, you were talking about having kids in the background have you ever seen the SNL skit where it's uh, get off the shed? No, I don't. It's one of those things over here. I don't get much chance to see SNL, but like if you have a link, I'd love to see it. I'll have to share it with you because then it will cool. kind of allude to a, a little precursor to what we were talking about before the show. Cool. Chris, do you know about it? No, I do not know about get off the shed. Get off the shed or get on the bag. Oh, man, you guys are lame. <laughs> it's we're a, the lame I'm, ones. Yeah, it's part of not being not being uh, accept, uh, having access to such uh, wonderful programming, I guess. Well, I mean, it is on the internet. It's like a more than a decade old. Gosh, right, we'll also, also not American, not American, you know. So I don't really have a lot of that <laughs> connection to don't those. Don't pull things. that card on me, Nathan. Damn you! <laughs> Combined, we have decades of information security experience, and here not just to educate but to entertain. We've got four awesome stories for you this week. So sit back relax, and enjoy the show. We're going to do something a little different this week and introduce all the stories up front. That way, you listeners can know what we're going to talk about and which segments interest you and hopefully get you to stick around to the end. Today, we're going to start with some closing the loop. Our opening topic will be discussing tips for dealing with jet lag. Our first story is a disgruntled employee crippling his former employer's systems after getting let go followed by the much-hated company Equifax monitoring its employees to see who's working two full-time jobs. For a third story, Dutch authorities pull a fast one and retrieve 155 decryption keys from the Deadbolt ransomware gang. 
And we'll close with the cheating scandal that has hit the professional chess scene. Does that sound like a good lineup of stories for you guys? I'm thrilled. I can't even begin to tell you. I'm sure you can hear it in my voice. I know. Man, Brian chess is, is always good. He's always up on what's going on in the professional chess circuit. So there'll be a very in-depth discussion. Closing the loop this week, we have a report that Microsoft does indeed have a security feature that can be enabled to block BYOVD attacks that bring your own vulnerable driver attacks. Microsoft does keep a block list of vulnerable but signed drivers. But Microsoft hasn't updated the database in three years. There's no excuse for this. Shame on you, Microsoft. You know, I guess uh, I would say better late than never, but they're just on the whole never kick right now. So good for them. Yeah. I think they finally figured it out. And says, Oops, we got to update this database. It's three years old. What well, would cause remember, them not to update it? A couple of years ago, they decided to, to go full cloud focus, right? So this is clearly an OS level thing that's on the desktop. That's not their focus anymore, isn't it? They, they're delivering Azure as the primary revenue stream for them. You're right. Azure yeah. runs on Linux. Wait, that doesn't <laughs> exactly. sound right. <laughs> it's never sounded right. A second closing the loop piece. Our friends over at Cloudflare successfully mitigated the largest DDoS attack ever recorded, clocking in at 2.5 terabits per second. That is 2,500 gigabits per second of traffic was thrown at the server. The attack was launched by a Mirai botnet variant and aimed at the Wincraft Minecraft service when the largest Minecraft servers in the world. All right. How the hell is Mirai even a thing anymore? Isn't that at least 10 years old? It's a bit long in the tooth, but, you know, it's still it's still effective. Well, it wasn't effective this time because Cloudflare was was there. But 2.5 terabits, that's that's a lot of compromised IoT devices. See, this is when you have to get the bleep button out, Chris, because uh, Mirai, for those of us that don't know, it's a, you know, vulnerable, you know, Internet of Things or Internet or iOS, Internet of so I had to believe that. But I think there were a bunch of routers out there that were participating in this. And I guess maybe it's easier to get to, you know, a couple terabits per second now that everyone has gig Internet at home. I don't know. It's true. I mean, I've got gig here, but the, the question is, like, how angry do you need to, need to be at somebody in Minecraft to have to go away and pay for the botnet to do this? Like, what is the... What is your what is your motivation and, and how distracted from the real reality of the world do you need to be to go and try and DDoS a Minecraft server? It's just fun, guys. Like don't 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 destroy people's fun. That's that's exactly it. They're just people being jerks. People don't want other people to have fun. There's really no other reason other than maybe extortion that says we're gonna DDoS you until you pay us. That mm. it's more likely they're just being jerks. Wouldn't it be funny if it was like a it was a fat finger and they just they were off by like one octet and they were supposed to be going after Visa, but they took out some sort of Minecraft <laughs> server. I'm like, damn it. Well, you know, good you know, kudos to uh Wincraft for having Cloudflare. Uh, that's kind of surprising. Must be a real problem. Yeah, yeah they must be facing yeah, real attacks. Yeah. This isn't the first time they've been DDoS. This is just the record setting DDoS attack. Can someone go in there and actually audit Cloudflare? I don't know. I don't believe them anymore. Oh, that this actually happened? Oh, well, they have yeah. some fancy graphs, and no one has been able to fake these fancy graphs showing the... I can fake bandwidth. some fancy graphs as well. <laughs> Give me... I need PCAPs, damn it, or it didn't happen. That's true. We want the PCAPs. It's um, interesting because uh, I run a Minecraft server as well, but it's completely oh. hidden and behind Zscale private access. So you need to have client 
client connector or um, and, and on your device and be enrolled in my tenant to get access to it. So my all my family members have it. We play on a, a private server, so it's not even available. Wow. So it's it's a nice way, a nice use case for a, <laughs> for a, uh, a enterprise customers out there to go and run Minecraft uh, behind Zscaler private access. Nice. Well, I would call you a loser, but I did play it once, and I, I spent a crazy amount of time re- replicating my actual house. In Minecraft. in Minecraft, and then my yeah. son, being the jerk that he is, as soon as I opened the door, he had laced it out with TNT, and it's limited. There's nothing was saved. I was so mad. I must have spent at least I don't know five or six hours. Like I thought it was so cool, and then I was done playing for the rest of my life. It, it, it's, so, it's what did we learn why. about backup strategies, Brian? Well, it was you know I didn't know I should save during the game. I, I had no idea what I was doing. I was running inside <laughs> and outside, taking measurements. One block is a foot. So I guess I can do this. All right, for our opening topic, now that I'm back stateside, I can talk about my entire travel schedule. Brian and I, you were we were together at Blackhead in Las Vegas, then went to Chicago, and then to Prague with Nathan, and then off to Bangkok also with Nathan, then back to San Francisco. So I circumnavigated the globe, and surprisingly, I did not have any trouble with jet lag at all. I think only flying east helped, but I also timed my naps in the plane to align with the local time of my destination and fighting the urge to take naps after I landed. Do you guys ever struggle with jet lag? I never do, but maybe I accidentally do the same thing as you, where I just kind of figure out where am I headed and then jump onto that sleep schedule immediately. Uh, I know, I guess, I'm, I guess it's easier being tired than jet lag, but what about you, Nathan? So I've always, as I'm an Australian living in Germany, I've traveled quite a bit and extensively going back home. And I think that um, what I found is very similar to you, Chris. I actually, but I set all my devices to be on the times I'm going to so that I, yeah, not just the sleep schedule, but I just kind of like set everything I'm doing, whether it be eating, drinking, uh, work, if I'm doing any work on the flight within that schedule. And I try and force myself to that so that when I do arrive, and then of course, the big thing is, and I think the one tip for those of you who get this, I hope, hope both of you do, is to make fists with your toes. Um, no, no diehard fans here. No, okay. Diehard, right. yeah. Diehard. Yeah, I got yeah. the diehard reference. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no jokes aside, I really find um, uh, getting in when you arrive at the destination, doing something like a workout, um, going for a walk, getting some air, and then kind of getting continue that, that that local time zone thing really helps. And then of course caffeine. I mean, that's what's there for. So no turkey, no bread. Got it. Uh, out of curiosity, do you set the uh, the Minecraft server to the local time as well? <laughs> no, that sits on UTC as always. Okay. The one thing that helped me, because I'm terrible at sleeping on planes, I bought some melatonin when I was in Prague, which was a task to, number one, find a pharmacy there that was not a marijuana dispensary, and number two, asking for melatonin in, in check. But I was actually able to find it, and I think that actually helped as well, because I horrible at sleeping on planes but after i took this i probably slept more on a plane than i've ever had in my whole life so i think melatonin does a great job getting you to sleep but doesn't keep you asleep yeah correct because it's it's natural and then it helps you get to sleep and then it's not supposedly not habit forming like if you take ambient or something that that could be habit forming i just take advil pms every single night is that weird probably not so good for your stomach got a gut Built like a brick house, buddy. <laughs> Don't even worry about it. All right. For wait, our wait. first. How do you say melatonin in checks? I just, I pulled up the picture on my phone and I, I pointed <laughs> to it and then, then I think they understood what I was trying to get at. 
I think I put it in like Google Translate and it gave me something else, but I just, yeah, I just brought it up on my, a picture of it on my phone, showed it to him. They probably just give you vitamin D. You're like, this stuff is great. (laughs) (laughs) I should have asked my wife. She's actually Czech. Um, But uh, um, I would have, I would have destroyed the pronunciation anyway. That's the thing I've learned in my, in my time is no matter how hard I try, my pronunciation always has some sort of weird Australianism to it that makes me sound, let's just say slow. For our first topic, this is a tale as old as time, but I was waiting until we had Nathan on the podcast to get his take on it. After being laid off, an IT system administrator disrupted the operations of his former employer, a high-profile financial company in the great state of Hawaii, hoping to get his job back. This IT admin worked as a contractor for two years, and the company decided not to renew his contract. Angry that he was out of a job, the IT admin used his still valid credentials after he was terminated to change DNS records so visitors to the website and all their email would get directed to the wrong place, causing a massive disruption in its services. He then made changes to lock the legitimate employees out of the admin console. There's a solution to prevent this from happening in the first place, right, guys? Never heard of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, I find this one a, a fun one. I talk a lot with, with large enterprises around this, and I'd actually argue that this is not an this is a balance between is it an IT control or a HR control, um, and you want to uh, and I know, I know companies struggle with this. Like, well, we have to have an onboarding offboarding process, but how effective is it? Is it properly integrated to all the systems we have? So, I can see it being a challenge um, for most enterprises, but then again, the 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 the, the ultimate responsibility sits with somebody is it going to be it or is it going to be hr i think hr is your, your main position here they should be the ones to be able to say that person has now left the company and then all the rules get changed against the it platforms but that's that's uh, nirvana right that's never going to happen in uh in the real world so yeah there's definitely ways to do this i think one is hr as i said but it is actually you know delivering it controls and ones we talk about a lot granularity specificity of controls ensuring we can't allow someone to get that sort of, let's say, blanket access. They should only have limited sets. And if they do something out of control, then we can, again, restrict even further. So, yeah, as you said, Chris, at the top, top of this, this is time as a tale as old as time. Um, and one, I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. I think it's HR, but it's also, the, I guess, the direct manager. Whoever promoted you to customer has a responsibility making sure that your permission should be revoked. Like this sounds like they just straight up dropped the ball. Like, hey, don't come here no more. But we're not going to do anything about it, which is insane. Right? Yeah, it's not like that office space thing. It's like we'll we'll cut off your paycheck, and the problem will resolve itself. Like that's that's their strategy, basically. Yeah, <laughs> just true. give him the uh, give him the sta- the stapler. It's important. Yeah, the swing give line, the Milton treatment. Yeah, because I remember this is a while ago. This is when Gavin Newsom was still mayor of San Francisco. It's probably got to be ten, fifteen years ago. It, the city of San Francisco. Like the entire city runs on Cisco and Cisco routers, Cisco switches, and they had a Cisco admin. I forgot if he was disgruntled or fired, but basically he went in and changed all the passwords on all the routers and switches for the entire city to some, you know, really long random string and locked the city out of its its network. And they, they arrested him and they put him in jail. And the guy says, I'll give you the password, but I want a face to face meeting with the mayor. And he brought in all these Cisco experts and like, no, you know, we, we can't brute force this. You got to wipe and reset. And 
not wanting to wipe and reset every single switch and router in the city of San Francisco, uh, the mayor agreed to have a sit down with this guy. And I forgot what his grievance was, but it was nonsense. But just to get to that point of one guy having a that much power and two, you know, being able to do that after he's been terminated. I heard he wanted to make petty theft legal. It turns out he won that. (laughs) (laughs) On this topic, if I ever found myself in this situation, I don't know that I'd have the guy to actually do that. Like, that, you know what I mean? Like, you know how much trouble you're going to get into by doing so? Like, that's just insane. It's one of those things, like, you have nothing to lose. Yeah. Yeah, because, like, when, when we study security, one of the one of the cases they always talk about, but when we talk about different types of malware and then there's uh, the concept of a logic bomb, the example almost always is the guy that was part of a company. He created a logic bomb that says, if I'm ever removed from the HR system, you know, cripple the network, then when I'm in the HR system, you know, release the network. So every time they fired this guy, the network got crippled. They rehired him to fix it. It magically got fixed. And then they fired him again. The network got crippled. So it's, it's exactly like that. He maybe he just thinks he won't get caught. So I've been in that dude's shoes before. I, I came into an organization where I like it, things were just jacked up. I was the single IT guy, pretty good sized company, and you know went in there, got things working, and slowly improved, and to the point where everything was stable. And it looked like I wasn't doing anything, right? And so then one day the uh, the owner came out. He's like, "Hey, Brian, we need you to go help with the landscaping outside." I was like, yeah, bro, no problem. Walked in the server room, unplugged this, this the mail server, and then uh, <laughs> made my way out there and uh, got called back in. Hey, the internet's down. All right, all right, let's go. <laughs> Different kind of logic bomb. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I left shortly after that. I was like, all right, they don't see the value in which I'm bringing. Yeah, yeah. At least they didn't cripple their systems before or after you left. Although you did make that joke, and then you, you got walked out by security. Yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> All right, for our, our second topic, this probably does not apply to Nathan, but Brian, did you get your Equifax settlement check yet? No, I did not. Did you? So I got an email from the claims administrator for the Equifax hack that my check will be coming in the mail soon. The claims admin said that there were so many people asking for the money and not the credit monitoring that there would be not enough money to go around. So we'll see what I end up with. Well, Equifax does not have time to to patch Apache struts, but do you know what they do have time for? Figuring out which of their employees is double working and holding two full-time jobs at the same time. For those of you living under a rock and not aware that Equifax suffered the worst data breach in history, losing the names and social security numbers of every American adult. They are a data broker and they hoover up as much data as they can on you to package and sell to the highest bidder. One of the products they offer is called the work number where companies can request a copy of your full employment history. While Equifax use their own product to find out which of their employees were receiving paychecks for more than one full-time job. They, fi- they found and fired at least 24 people and over 200 contractors using this service. Equifax claims that it's within their code of conduct to disclose outside employment with Equifax. And one of the red flags Equifax used to target who got this dossier written about them was abysmally low VPN usage, with which they counted as less than 13 hours a week. So working multiple jobs, smart idea, or recipe for disaster? I mean... 
<clears throat> two jobs sounds like having cancer and AIDS at the same time. No, thank you. I'm busy enough already. <laughs> Although I did, you know, in the past, I have had a couple of jobs where, you know, I had a regular W-2 and then I did some contracting stuff, but it was completely different hours and it was, it was easily managed. But yeah, I could definitely see why that'd be painful for some people. I mean, think about this, like I'll, I'll put the, the European hat on, pay them more for the first job so they don't need to go and get a second job. That could be a good way of doing it. Um, I like that, Nathan. Yeah. yeah. You hear um, that, David Anderson? My boss, my director. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you definitely need a second job after your after your promotion. Um, but no, I think the other thing is is that there's I think there's two things here. One is that would never fly in Europe. The GDPR would protect us, likely enough. But I think the other thing is that the VPN aspect is really interesting. So just because you have a low connectivity time on VPN doesn't mean that people aren't working. Um, and actually, I think it's more of an important to ask the question of, well, hold on, if they're not connected to the VPN, what are they doing? Um, and why are they not connected to the VPN? And well, probably because the VPN sucks and the traffic is, they need to do something that doesn't work through the VPN. So then there's two questions I have there is why are you providing the VPN in the first place? And second of all, why are you allowing people to disconnect from it? Um, you know, saying there's not, what about these, these fancy new always on VPNs that we hear about from an industry? So for me, that becomes the, the question of, uh, yeah, you could, you could, create one metric but you know causation is not necessarily correlated to one fact so um i'm intrigued as to that to the people in america who have to deal with that you know, with equifax but uh yeah i think it puts into question i think a number of things uh, not just the the pay levels uh, or singular job but also the ability to go and figure this information out and and calling it accurate when there's so many reasons why it would be totally inaccurate i agree with whatever you, it's part like you can get away with it like you don't need two jobs but you can get work two jobs and that's what equifax's whole beef was they said if you're working these two jobs there's no way you're you're doing your job at equifax and the second job at the same time collecting two paychecks basically so i know that during the pandemic i, I know of people that had three jobs right they were just triple dipping everywhere and this you know reaping the benefits of all that stuff can you imagine though like you're working at Z-Star that you're also working for like one of their biggest competitors. Like talking about a conflict of interest, man. <laughs> yeah. And if that would show up in the, the background check or even your LinkedIn, that means you just got to disable <laughs> LinkedIn. Oh yeah. You don't have a social media presence, Brian. No, I don't. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> Can't find your By the way, don't, don't look in the internet archive. You're encouraging people to come up with bad behavior by deploying this sort of control and this sort of reporting. You're not encouraging people to to work harder. Work harder, yeah. yeah. Give them a, give them yeah. no reason to go hunt another job. Exactly. By the way, I think I think I might know actually know who came up with this idea. When I was in high school, I had this job like we were just like cleaning roads, right? It was nothing special. But one day we we went and grabbed Taco Bell for for lunch, and we came back and our boss had us breathe into his face to make sure that we didn't eat the Taco Bell before he did. So I think this is the same guy. <laughs> That's a psycho. I guarantee it. There's definitely, would, definitely some psycho there. Definitely some psycho. That would not fly in the post-COVID era. <laughs> Breathe in your face. <laughs> you, man. It's like one thing to like take a breathalyzer so to make sure you're not drunk on the job, but Taco Bell, really? Yeah, yeah, I wasn't even drinking, man. It was literally, he's like, did you eat that Chipotle? Yeah. Or I, actually, it was probably a double-decker. I was guilty. I ate it. <laughs> All right, and that and that weird note. 
move on to our <laughs> third topic. All right, Brian. So I'll give you another chance. After spending 82 episodes together, what are my two favorite types of news stories? Um, the, the ultimate feel-good story that just raises people up and something on Taco Bell. All right, you're very close. Okay. So I love stupid criminal stories, and okay. I love scamming the scammer stories. <laughs> and you love food stories. And food. So we've got a doozy for you here about scamming the scammers. The Deadbolt ransomware operation is known for encrypting internet-connected QNAP and ASUS store NAS devices. These are those network-attached storage devices that you put all your family photos on and you back up and put all your important data on. So this ransomware group specifically goes after them because there's tons and tons of vulnerabilities on these things. And if you put them directly on the internet, you're asking. It's an internet kick-me sign. You're just asking for trouble. <laughs> So they, they demand 0.03 Bitcoin in ransom, which is about 600 bucks in today's exchange rate. So 600 US dollars. I don't know what that is. In, oh, that's actually probably 600 euros too. Pretty close, yeah. One yeah. yeah, yeah. And they've infected about 20,000 devices worldwide. After the ransom is paid, Deadbolt creates a Bitcoin transaction to the same Bitcoin ransom address containing a decryption key for the victim. So I can tell based on that, Deadbolt is a huge fan of work harder, not smarter, because they've automated this entire process. When Deadbolt detects the transaction on the Bitcoin blockchain for the correct amount and to the correct address, then they send an automatic response with the decryption keys. No human intervention required. Beautiful. Well, the Dutch authorities, clever as they are, they took advantage of this automation and launched their own scam the scammer operation. The way it worked was the Dutch authorities paid the 0.03 Bitcoin transaction, but they paid a very low transaction fee and sent the transaction when the Bitcoin blockchain was very congested. And the way the blockchain works is transactions with higher transaction fees get prioritized, so they get processed first. The Deadbolt automation system saw the transaction on the blockchain with a very low fee and sent the decryption key before the transaction was confirmed. And there is a way to cancel unconfirmed transactions on the blockchain, and the Dutch authorities did just that. So realizing they've been scammed out of 155 decryption keys, the Deadbolt ransomware crew now requires two confirmations before the decryption key is released. There's definitely no love lost for the Deadbolt guys getting scammed at their own game. It's like MFA for scamming people. I'll, I'll tell you what, <clears throat> not that I use this for storage, but if that ever happened to me, I'd probably be one of those dudes spending the 600 bucks. Not because I think what's on my, my NAS at home is all that important. It's just I don't want to, I, I fear my wife. I don't want to tell her that I lost all the family photos and videos. Hmm. I would definitely be paying. That's just right. like your Minecraft strategy, Brian. Offline backups. <laughs> but Brian, Brian do, do tell us more about what sort of uh, NAS you, you have at home, please. Yeah, it's a ABC, not in your business. <laughs> <laughs> and give us your IP address and the login. <laughs> exactly. No, no it's, my, it's funny. Yeah. Go ahead. I mean, Chris actually run the same one. So, and then uh, I did take a page out of Chris's book. So I actually have another backup to it as well. That's completely nice. offline and stored in a different location. This is a little bit of a, a bastard keeping everything in sync. It's important then. Um, a bit, I, I do the same thing. I actually have a, have an, a cloud backup and, and an offline backup as well because the cloud one allows me to then, if things go wrong, it's all encrypted, but if it all goes wrong, I've got a, I've got an image somewhere if the house burns down or whatever else. But the one thing I was going to say about the Dutch hackers, the, or Dutch hackers, the security guys, 
do you guys ever see remember that episode of the simpsons i think because there's a yakuza involved and there's like um there's this white guy there's a guy in a white suit and homer's like really desperate to watch him do something he's like but the moment i turn away he's going to do something really cool and he does <laughs> yeah that's the dutch that's the dutch security researchers that you're just waiting in the background and no one thinks they're going to do anything and then all of a sudden boom they come up with some incredible ploy like this and he, you've seen them in other other um uh takedowns of like um of ransomware gangs as well they they come out of nowhere and do this incredible bit of uh, martial arts and it's just amazing to see so i really do admire their skill set and thinking of how can we mess with the scammers by using their own system against them it's just it's brilliant i love that so yeah really cool to see yeah, we give a lot of props to the Dutch on on this podcast. I know they don't get enough credit on the world stage, but we try to give them props where they can. It was it was actually a Dutch intelligence agent that allegedly snuck stuck stent into the Natanz uh, enrichment facility in Iran. And yeah, they've done some other awesome stuff mm-hmm. that we've reported here. So hats off to Dutch intelligence. Absolutely. Do you think U.S. authorities would be able to pull something off? And I I'm thinking like. U.S. Cyber Command and NSA might, but when you get down to like your general law enforcement, I know my local police station wouldn't be able to pull something like this off. Maybe the FBI? Do you think the U.S. FBI would be able to pull something off like this? Oh, absolutely. I just don't think they have the time or the energy to do something like this. Yeah, they're, they're mm. too busy dragging people out of like school board meetings. I think there's a lot we don't see. I think that's the key. Like, like that's important. Like, this is obviously a, a uh, a bit of adv- advertising for the Dutch, but I think that there's a lot from different government organizations that are disrupting criminal organizations, terrorist organizations that are not being communicated to us. Because uh, as you said, they got a lot of, that, that all connects together and it's probably much bigger than we would actually probably understand. Or that things like Five Eyes, where they're sharing information about these sort of, um, let's say, these, these sort of attacks, whether this these ransomware campaigns, or in this, this case, the, um, the, the Bitcoin... Uh, um, ransomware this could be who knows north korea for all we know right so why not mess with them um as a mechanism i don't know like there's i'm sure we see we, again we we don't see it all but uh it is fun when it does get out because it's kind of a a, a not a, t- a tip of the hat of respect from from the industry yeah and you bring up a good point because i remember there was that movie about the cia that it's a you know fictional movie but the guy basically says a line about the cia he says our failures are public and our successes are not. And I think that's probably very much the case that there's a lot of stuff going on in the background to disrupt a lot of these things that we just don't know about. And this is one they were able to publicize because, you know, they, they burned this method, but they did a lot of good in the process. I mean, that's the security industry at a whole, right? Like nobody knows what security people do, what they, what they do until, until it's an issue. Um, so it's pretty similar, I guess, in a lot of ways. Not to equate myself to someone working for the, a uh, federal agency somewhere um but uh certainly um there's no recognition in this sport until things break all right for our last topic it'll be a rotating topic every week this week we're going to talk about the cheating scandal happening in the professional chess world before mr deech hits the snooze button it may sound boring at first but when you dive into things it gets super interesting and i'll lay it out for you Magnus Carlsen, the number one ranked chess player in the world, accused Hans Niemann, a 19-year-old rising chess star, of cheating. In the championship game between the reigning five-time world champion Carlsen and the challenger Niemann, Carlsen just stood up and walked away without explanation and withdrew from the tournament. 
later posted on his Twitter account that he believed Neiman is a cheater and would not play with him. And just to be clear, the championship game is played over the board, which means they're playing in real life and not online. They also introduced a 15-minute live feed delay to prevent anyone from the outside from helping Neiman. A few days after Carlson's tweet, Neiman admitted to cheating in the past, once when he was 12 playing an online tournament, and again when he was 16 on chess.com to grow his chess streaming career and says he regrets his decision. But Neiman claims he has not cheated since then and not in the current tournament where he was playing Magnus Carlsen. Chess.com did an in-depth analysis of Neiman's history with the website and produced a 72-page report of what they believe to be a pattern of cheating without ever directly accusing him as of being a cheater. So, scandal in the chess world. Do you think that since this guy admitted to cheating in the past that he's likely cheating now? What, what do you think? I mean, never, I mean, I want to take him for his word. And maybe he isn't cheating anymore, but, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire, I suppose. I guess you'd have to figure out how to prove this. That, that's, a, that's a tricky one. Yeah, and, and maybe it's a, like the kind of like once a cheater, always a cheater. But in the same, same vein, or actually in the opposite vein, I kind of think of it, well, he was doing the cheating initially online and perhaps to learn some strategies to try and improve himself. Like, let's look at it from a security point of view. It's industries build out IT, and they, it performs a function, but they don't know they're secure until someone breaks in. And breaking it in is a system. Breaking into a system is hacking. And that shows you where you may have made mistakes along the way. So actually, it's a good thing if it's done under the right conditions um, to improve knowledge and improve one's ability. So maybe I could argue that. But it's also to the point of, as you said, Chris, it's quite hard to to prove it in the, was it 15-minute time-delayed so there's no one from the outside could help him. How can you say he's cheating then? Um, I'm intrigued. It opens so many doors and questions, but I get it as well. I get it where he's coming from. I would like to you know, create knowledge where I can and try and take advantage in a way. But yeah, I don't know. Did, did you guys happen to watch the, the uh, series on Netflix, the, the Queen's Gambit? I did not, not yet. Anyway, okay. that's on my to watch list. But yeah, I haven't seen that yet. But I, I know after that that show came out, that there's a huge interest in chess again. I mean, I watched it. I literally had no idea what was going on. All I could equate it to was this chick was making moves, and I was like, she must. And this must have been like something like Jordan dunking on Matumbo, right? It was like, oh, moment. I have no idea. <laughs> but it is, it's just like you know, drop the mic moments. It's an incredible series. But what I do know from watching that is that. Whatever make, uh, move you make, right? They're they're thinking like sixteen in advance or some crazy number. So even with a fifteen minute delay, even if he's being fed information somehow, like you have to be incredibly smart to play the damn game, and especially at that level. I don't know how he's cheating. Um, even if he had like a something in his foot, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a like he's tapping Morse code. I don't. I just don't see how he's doing it. Yeah, and and that's what people were were saying that. He he has to be a very talented player to begin with, because even even if you you can't get fed information for every single move, it's it's there's certain moments in the game that are pivotal, and if you make the right move at the right time, then you can win the game. So I think that's what they were saying that for certain moves, somebody was signaling him to to do this, and they were I don't know on their phone or you feeding the moves into some AI ML engine to figure out what's the optimal move here, but it. It didn't have to be continual. It just had to be at very key moments. And I think that's what they were saying, that somebody from the crowd might have been 
signaling him um, at, at these pivotal moments. Homeboy should be, whoever's in the crowd watching should be the one playing then. Yeah, yeah right. I, I agree. <laughs> like there's, there's a path of least resistance here. Is it is it easier to learn the game and play it 16 moves ahead? Or is it easier to then go and build a system of signaling so that you can communicate what the moves are to some engine that, part, that that outputs the next move and signals it back to the person through their transmitter in their shoe in a method that they can understand to then make the next move. I mean, for me, I, don't get me wrong. Like, there's a, people are always trying to find ways to cheat, but I don't know what's the what's the easier way here. And with all the things like the, the 15 minute delay and all those sort of things, I wonder like, would it be easy just to play the game and and think the guy actually has skills? Or maybe it's aliens. Who knows? <laughs> sure. That's that's what Neiman said too. That one of the reasons he cheated was because he he needed money and he want he he streams online, so he wanted to be really good at the game, so he'd attract more people to his stream. And the way that he got good at the game was to cheat, basically. So that was one of his motivations of doing that. But he says, you know, now he's actually a really good player and he doesn't need to cheat anymore. But who knows? I mean, he honed his skills, but I mean, I, I want to come back to the whole, he live streamed his chess games. All right, cool. I mean, I can think of like, you know, we talked about Minecraft before, about that being a time waster. No offense to the people watching the uh, the chess games, but <laughs> I can think of better ways to spend my time to watch someone else play. I like to play <laughs> play that game myself and, and learn it myself rather than watching someone else. There seems a bit of a, I don't know, time down a black hole. Yeah, maybe it's a good sleep aid. You know, Chris has got melatonin. Other people have chess watching. Watch chess streaming. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. One, one of the ways chess.com did uh, in their 72-page report was they compared Neiman's moves that he did on chess.com to a computer. What would a computer do? Because the computer's always going to be 100% right. And I think computers have gotten to the point where they'll they'll never lose a chess game against a human. And in some of the games that Neiman played, he was like 100% match for what the computer would have done which is technically impossible for a human to get a hundred percent of what a computer would do and then that's one of the pieces of evidence they say he likely cheated without calling him a cheater they say he likely cheated because his moves match a hundred percent what a computer would have done uh for this game hey before we go over to your dad joke of the week there's one important question that we haven't had a chance to ask nathan that i ask all of our international customer uh Customer. International guests. Yes, thank you. Our international <laughs> guests, thank you. I don't want to call you a customer, Nathan. So what is the best country in the world? <laughs> uh, man, I always get asked this question when I travel. Like, you know, like for example, where do you, where do you consider at home? I'll say this, uh, wherever I'm charging my phone. So right now I'm charging my phone in Germany. Sounds pretty good. Next, <laughs> next week I'll be somewhere else. So um, I, I have no one allegiance it depends also on sports. Like oh, I'll say, like the only place I will really throw allegiance out is sports. Well, we continue to get great comments about our dad joke of the week. Dad joke of the week. This week, our guest Nathan is up. Yep. So I had to come with some Australian flair. I figured. So, um, uh, okay, guys, what Australian animal can jump higher than the Sydney Harbour Bridge? Remember, that's the big bridge we have in Sydney. What's that? I'm looking at Brian, he's looking confused. Anything? Nah, right. I need Nemo? I have no idea. <laughs> well, so the answer is all of them because bridges can't jump. Oh my gosh, guys. I haven't been recording this whole time. Just kidding. I'm not Glenn Medina. We're good to go. 
All right, to wrap things up, Microsoft failed the security community again. Melatonin helps overcome jet lag. A company did not disable a former employee's account and are paying the price. Equifax has nothing better to do than spy on its own employees. The Dutch police pull a fast one on the Deadbolt ransomware gang. And Professional Chess has its share of cheaters. That's all I have for this week. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. You can find us all on LinkedIn. Links will be in the description. Follow us on Instagram at Podcast. Thank you to all our listeners and subscribers who rate us five stars at the iTunes store and Spotify and left us a review. We appreciate you all spreading the word to help grow the show. The best way to find us is to search for the PebCAC Podcast on your favorite podcast listening app. For our host, Brian Nietzsche, and our guest, Nathan Howe, I'm Chris Louie. Thanks for listening. We'll see you all next weekend. As always, have a nice day. Bye, Felicia.